All right, well, our kids are going to make their way to Center Kids. As they do that, let's go ahead and open our Bibles uh, to uh, Galatians chapter 6. We are finishing 19 weeks in Galatians. Uh, for some of you, y'all are like, that's nothing, because we did like 60-something weeks in John at one point. Uh, so 19 weeks in Galatians. Uh, we will finish it today. And as I shared last week, we are going to spend the next three weeks, the next three Sundays, looking at a series called Gospel Friendship, where we're going to look at, man, why as the church or why as culture do we struggle with friendship? And what does the gospel have to say about friendship? What, you know, in the church, we often do friendship the way the world does friendship. And it's messy and it's not right, right? Like oftentimes it's sinful. Uh, and yet God has called us to something totally different. And it begins with our relationship with Jesus. We're going to look, uh, to begin the series that Jesus says, man, I, I, I know, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Like what does that mean for our lives to be called a friend of man, our Savior and King Jesus. And so we're going to do that, and then we're going to spend the rest of the summer looking at a series called Storyteller, where we each week are going to break down, uh, man, a parable. What do these stories mean for our lives, and how do they shape and transform, uh, man, what we believe about the good news and how, uh, what it means for our daily walk with Jesus. And so what I want to do is we close out Galatians, which for me, like, as I reflect on this series, uh, this might be, and I think I say this every time we finish a series, this might be the favorite, my favorite series that we've ever walked through. Uh, but really I think, uh, man, it has been. It has been such, uh, man, a beautiful time of just seeing, uh, man, God just reveal Himself, uh, you know, in just these amazing ways. And He always does that, right? But like, as I reflected and just thought about it, I was like, man, God, You, you did such a work through this letter. But what I want to do is I want to take a moment to reflect on this and reflect on this letter because I think that, that it's key to remember the way, to remember that the way that we begin, we finish. And what I mean by that is in Galatians, but really, uh, if you take the Word of God, if you look at the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, what it does From the start to the end, it reveals that the entire story of one's walk of faith begins with grace, continues by grace, and finishes in grace. You see, we, we have to remember that. And the reason I put that it, we, we continue by grace is because oftentimes, and we've talked about this, uh, there, there's this tendency to say, yeah, my life at one point began by grace, and one day, God will shore up all that I can't do, right? And we can walk in that belief of, yeah, I'm saved, but man, well, I'm just waiting to get to heaven. And, and we don't really understand what happens in between. But guess what? The in-between is grace as well. Even though some, religion, some religions will preach this, that, that they will say that you are saved by grace after all that you can do, which is a false narrative. It is anti-gospel. And so we need to be reminded that the way we begin, we finish. You see, the call of the gospel is you cannot, no matter how much you think you can and how strong you think you are, do enough, perform enough, or believe well enough in your own strength to produce saving faith. It is, as we've said over and over again, not in you. We saw in Galatians 5 that our natural bent is the flesh. 
That is our nature, which is why we need a supernatural change that only comes by way of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so in light of what we kicked off our series with, we on January 3rd, we started this series. And when we kicked off this series, I asked two questions, and then I gave three hopes or three prayers for our time through this series. And so what I want to do is quickly, uh, I just want to remind you of those questions. I'm going to add one more. Uh, and then we're going to look at, uh, yeah, the end of Galatians. So the first question I asked is, as you think about this new year, right? We're two days, at that point, we're three days into the new year. What is it going to take to accomplish your goals for the new year, right? Like usually at the end of the year, you begin to plan for the next year and say, what are my goals? What are the things? What are my resolutions or whatever you want to call it, right? And for probably all of us, we were like, well, 2020 was a bust. So I'm going to, man, this is going to be the year, right? Or I've got to play catch up. And you begin to make all these things. And so my question was, what is it going to take? And as you think about that, maybe the goals that you set forth, how are they going? Have you been disciplined? Do you have the accountability you need? What have you had to do and have you done it? Which led to the second question that really I argued in week one was really the, the root of, of uh, many things that we walk through and, and all of our goals. And it's this, what must you do today? Not just on January 3rd, but including today. What must you do today to obtain God's approval, love, and grace? You see, I believe that that's the real question behind our performance. And I believe that the answer to that question, if you were to honestly answer that question, not with just Christianese and buzzwords and things like, well, this, I know this is the right thing to say, even though if I don't, may not do that. But if you were to answer it honestly, that answer says a lot about your view of God, your understanding of the gospel, and how you view your identity in light of that. And so those are the two questions we began with. But as we close out Galatians, I, 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 I want to ask one more question. How has this letter answered this question of obtaining God's love or approval, love, and grace? How has Galatians, what has Galatians, how has it answered how you obtain God's love, approval, and grace? How do you obtain it? What are we saved by? Grace through faith alone, the grace alone, right? It's, man, we have, what it is, is Galatians, what it tells us, your approval, your love, and, and man, the understanding of grace is all rooted in what Jesus has done, not in what you can accomplish or what you still need to do. You begin the way you finish. You finish the way you begin. And in the midst of all that, it's the same. It's all of grace, not of performance. And so as we journeyed through this letter, my three hopes and prayers is that it would teach us to live as a people of repentance, that we would root out false gospels, that we would root out false identities, and that we would turn from failing performance. And then secondly, that we would grow our faith in the gospel and the gospel alone. 
that we would believe, proclaim, and live out the good news. That it wouldn't just be information. It wouldn't just be buzzwords and coffee mug verses and, and things that we just stickers that we put on our, I don't know if people put stickers on their vehicles anymore, uh, that have verses or whatever. Um, but we would put those things out there, but we have no understanding. We're not living it out as well. Which leads to the last hope is that we it would empower our faith to work itself out in greater love towards God, self, and others as we behold the glory of God's grace. And again, as we finish Galatians, I don't want us to, as I prayed earlier, just close the book and put it on the shelf and say, okay, let's get, let's get to doing now. I don't want us to continue to check the box and just move on. May we cling to it. May we continue to remind ourselves, and may we continue to remind others that works have no power to save, but praise God for the work of Jesus which is finished and full. And so with that, let's read our last section of Galatians, beginning in verse 11 through 18. Paul says this, See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And for some reason, I don't have verse 18 in there. It says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All right, so as we finish out the last portion of this letter, what you're going to notice, if you know anything about Paul's letters, is that this, the end of this letter is not like any of his other letters, really. In verse 18, he gives a little snippet of grace and peace, brothers, amen, and he's done. But most of Paul's other letters, as he closes them out, no matter what's happened throughout, it's this long, drawn-out uh, man. Really, he he kind of gets a little more laid back, and and a little he he pumps the brakes a little bit. I mean, Paul, if you've read any of his letters, is an intense guy. Even before Paul was saved, he was an intense guy. He says, "Man, I was the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees." Right? He says, "I held like in the standard of the law, I upheld it." But we don't see that like in this letter. You go to the bullet, if you go to Philippians, it ends with grace and peace, but then there's exhortation and prayer and celebration and this call. He says, man, be welcoming and caring to others in Christ. But this letter is totally different. You see, while it begins with grace and peace, man, this letter is intense and directed at attacking the false gospel of grace plus works from start to finish. 
There is an all-out assault on workspace righteousness by Paul that he will not let up. I mean, I think as we, even as we enter into that, I think we have to ask ourselves and even begin to reflect in our own lives, do we carry the same intensity in the life of the church when it comes to proclaiming the true gospel and attacking that which is false? I don't mean that which you don't prefer. We're very good at that, right? Like we will take things and say, well, we will, we will take open-handed things and we will make those ultimate things because of our preference, our selfish desires, our works of the flesh. But no, what I mean is, man, are we like Paul saying, no, this, man, what's the real issue? I want to be about those things. I want to be about, man, attacking that which is false. Not the person, but that which is false. I think the answer, if we're honest, might be no. Maybe sometimes it's yes, right? But you see, I, I, I think we need to take a hard look. And as um, uh, an Iranian missionary uh, uh, that was a part of, he did an interview on the If Gathering. If you're with our women, uh, it's a powerful video. But he's telling, like in Iran right now, revival is happening like crazy. Like people are like, like, Holy Spirit stuff that you're just like, well, like they're like God is giving people dreams and like revival is taking place in a place that we think revival can't take place in. Right. But what he says, he's very direct and blunt in this video is he says, man. We and he, or the, the church, the American church has largely been made to slumber by way of a satanic lullaby. Because we have Americanized the good news into health, wealth, and pulling oneself up by our bootstraps. That's my uh, uh, emphasis on that. But what he says is we have begun to believe you have been lulled to sleep by a satanic lullaby. We have bought into, we have proclaimed, and we quickly live out the lie that because we have the name, we have I mean, we see that. that. That's even regardless of being a follower of Jesus. If you live in Brenham, if you have a certain name, it means something, right? Not only that, like if you were born here or you weren't born here, it means a lot. Some of you are like, amen, right? Like, <laughs> and some of you are like, what are you talking about? I mean, I've just been here my whole life. And I'm like, it's okay. Just have, just have empathy for us, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I've been here my whole life and it's still like, I have empathy because I'm with you, right? But we believe as so-called followers of Jesus that just because I have a certain name, just because I am who I am, just because I go to church or my parents went to church, just because I vote a certain way and live where we live, we in God's sight are good enough and we can earn our way by hard work and determination. Maybe on the other side of that, it's like, hey, I don't care what I do. I'm just going to get in on the coattails of others. That's not in the gospel. The gospel does not have a coattail for us to cling to. It has the cross. Which is we're going to see as we see at the end of Galatians, man, is that thing like it, it, it's people, they, they don't want to look at it. Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone would follow me, 
deny himself and pick up the cross and follow. And so as we look at the end of this letter, may we see the seriousness which with, with which Paul is crying out to the church in Galatia and us today. May we not rest on the laurels of misconception by way of a misinformed gospel, be it through works of performance or care three apathetic works of the flesh, and instead, as Scripture says, work out our faith with fear and trembling. For it is by grace we are saved, not by works, so that no man can boast. And, and we're going to see it today, if we are to boast, may it be in the good news and the good news alone. For Paul begins the end of this letter with, he says, Look at the large letters with which I'm writing you with my own hand. You see, Paul's not slowing down at the end of this letter with his intent to turn those to whom he is writing from focusing on their inability to produce salvation through external means. Man, may we as the church not slow down in proclaiming the gospel to ourselves and one another and the world around us, right? May we not slow down with that. May that be what's in front of us. I was encouraged a couple of weeks ago. I was talking... I'm not sure who I was talking with, but I was talking to them. And they were telling me about uh, that, like, yeah, you know, uh, so-and-so, they went to a church and, like, they heard this message, but they didn't hear the gospel. And their response, and it was super encouraging to me, like, encouraging to my heart, their response was, well, you just need to come here because that's all, you're just going to hear gospel over and over again. Maybe too much, right? <laughs> like, like that's what you're going to hear. And, it, like, I didn't take that. It wasn't a pride. It was like, man, God, like, it was like a humbling thing. Like, may, may we never move away from that? And I don't mean to just, I mean all of us. May that be where we run to. May it be the only encouraging thing. The only thing that brings us joy. You see, what Paul realizes is that after writing a very intense and straightforward letter, that by the end of it, people are probably tired. They might be checked out. They might be just... You, you, you ever experience this? You just get convicted. You're like, I, you just shut it off. You're like, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. And they're just, they're just checked out. They're tired of an onslaught of grace alone. May we never get tired of an onslaught of grace alone. And so what Paul does is he says, in, he says in large letters with my own hand, he lays out one last push for grace alone. Man, as I, as I think about this, I just imagine the letter like that he's just writing and then all of a sudden like the end of it's just all caps, right? It's just like, he's just like, listen to me. This, if I'm going to say anything else, hear this. Like we get that. We have text messaging. It's a gift and a curse because you can read into everything. But also like there is a way through text messaging to get your point across, right? All caps. Emojis, right? Memes. GIFs. Like, you can let people know what you're thinking in a very intense manner. Sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. But we know what that's like. Like, we know, like, if we want to, man, it would be like, if we want to, if you want to get a hold of someone, like, man, I know, like, there are ways and manners by which I can say, hey, wake up. But I think more significant when in this to me, like as I read it, was that Paul says, hey, I'm doing this with my own hand. 
You see, it's likely in, in Paul's context that he probably had a scribe that Paul would say these things and the scribe would write it down. Some think because Paul's eyesight was bad, we don't know for sure. But it wasn't uncommon for someone, uh, man, of Paul's, man, his uh, lifestyle and like the way he lived to have someone that would just write things out for him, right? Well, what Paul says in this moment, he says, look, this is me writing this. I, this is not someone else telling you this. You see, while... Someone else writing it would have had the same, it would have carried the same weightiness. It would have still been true. Paul's saying, no, like, look, he's saying, look, man, this is by, like, my hand. Paul wants them to see his care and concern. But you see, there's something different in terms of authority and affection when it comes directly from the source, does it not? So let me, let me talk about really quickly what I mean by authority and affection. So, the, the, the reason there's something different in authority is because when Paul says, by my hand, they would recall, man, Paul was here with us. Paul helped establish this church. Paul established elders and then commissioned them, and, then he, and he's strengthening us. And so there, there was added authority there. It's, it's like, you know, two examples I could say is like, in, as a parent, there are many moments when my kids are playing, and one of them will come and say, hey, so-and-so... My, my brother or sister's not let, they're not giving me a turn. And there's times when I'm like, look, I'm not going back there. And so I'll look at them, I'll say, hey, tell them daddy said this. And they go, and nine times out of ten, nothing changes. Because the sibling goes in and says, hey, daddy said this. And the other sibling's like, I don't care, you're not dad. He's not back here. And they keep playing with it. But if I go back there, there's a different authority. I say, hey... You need to give them a turn, not in five minutes, not in three more tries, right now. And then I walk out of the room and probably in five minutes I'm going to have to go and say, okay, now you have to give them a turn again, right? And we go in this path, but there's a difference of authority. In the workplace, right, if, if, if someone like your manager comes in and tells you something, there might be a tendency to say, oh, okay, I'll get to that. But if the owner comes in and says, hey, you need to do this right now, Unless you want to lose your job, you're probably going to do that right now. There's a difference in authority. But it's not just authority. It was also affection. Paul had suffered alongside these people. Paul loved these people. Paul had served these people. You see, in life, you can only go so so far on authority alone. This is why people must know that you care for them. If you are only an authority, people will fear, but they will not fully respect you and they will definitely resent you. But if people, and let me just narrow that down, if your spouse, if your kids, if your co-workers, if those in the church, if your neighbors, know that you love them both in word and deed, they are more likely to listen and respond in like manner. And today, do you proclaim to others your love and care for them through encouraging words? Two days ago, I was mowing and my son Jude came to me and he said, Hey, Daddy, will you open this Gatorade bottle for me? And I just walked up and I grabbed the Gatorade bottle and I said, Hey, Jude, guess what, man? And I was opening it and he looked, he goes, What, Dad? And I said, I love you. And I just handed it back to him. And he did what he always does in the moment. He sticks his tongue out because he doesn't know what to do with his emotions. And he ran away. But I don't care, right? 
Because over and over and over again, what I want my son to know is, hey, I simply just love you. So that when I have to walk in those moments of authority, they're like, hey, dad loves me. He's shown me affection. He loves me. But also, do you do it in D? Do you look for ways to serve them well? Now, some of you are like, oh, man, I kill it in the service department. <laughs> like, I am always serving, and they never tell me thank you, but I'm always serving them, right? Uh, but you're not doing it in the words department, right? You're not like, you're not like, it's a both and. You know, you can, you can say, you can say I love you, and yet your actions be the opposite as well. We are called, if we are called to be a people who proclaim through Christ's authority the good news of the gospel, we need to do it both with His authority, not a built up authority of self, but also we need to, man, have affection for others. Others need to know that we love them because others through us need to see that, man, Jesus loves them. And I want to say one more thing here in terms of these large words that are being written. The world around you is writing with large letters a narrative that is anti-good news. How are you combating that in your life? And how are you combating that in the lives of those around you? The narrative's always being proclaimed, right? How are you combating the false narrative with the narrative of the good news and the story of God's redemption? See, this is why we have to be in the Word. This is why we must not just read the Word as the church, as a missional community, as families, as couples, as individuals. We must exhort one another with the transformative good news that is found within it. When you see a brother or sister walking in sin, man, our job is not to just go and give them all our wisdom. We need to take them to the Word and say, this is where you're out of line. You're not out of line with my preferences. Maybe you are. But my goal is, I know you're out of line with God's Word. We have to be in the Word, proclaiming the Word, praying the Word, because it is the only thing that can silence what feels like a never-ending onslaught of false gospels that are being laid before us at every turn. Man, you want to see change in your life? Like, it's not found in the 15 next ways that you need to be a better you. It's found in God's Word, right? It's found in God's Word and it's worked out. Guess where it's worked out? In community. Which is why you have to be connected to the local body. Because you can even read God's Word alone and you can make it say a lot of things. But it needs to be worked out together. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so Paul, with great care, concern, and love, in large letters by his own hand, is both exhorting both the church in Galatia and every follower of Jesus to not let one's guard down when it comes to the threat of believing a false gospel. For it is those who want to make, he says, it's those that want to make a good showing in the flesh. He says, they're the ones that are forcing works upon you. And we're going to get there in a moment. He says, the reason they're doing that is so that they won't be persecuted. You see, the reason Paul is ending this letter the way he does is not only to continue calling the church away from a no gospel, but is also to expose those who are proclaiming such things as self-centered and selfish. 
He's going back to the works of the flesh, right? He says, this is the result of what happens when you're trying to get your way all the time. You see, what we find in verse 12 is the difference between the gospel of grace and the gospel of works. You see, one is an inward transformation that brings freedom and life, while the other is an outward transformation that brings enslavement and death. One is substantial, meaning that it holds weight and stability for life and holiness, while the other is superficial, and it cannot hold up to the requirements of a holy God. Not only that, but Paul exposes the reasoning for for forcing this superficial works-based, no gospel. He says that those that are proclaiming it are only doing so to save face. He says they're they're, they're, they're trying to have a good showing. They're trying to show off so that they won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Really what they're doing is they're selling out. They're saying, no, the cross is too hard. I want want comfort. I want ease. So I'm going to go that route. You do these few things externally, you don't have to worry about anything else. You see, this is the hypocrite who masks faith by good works. And looking the part, but has no real connection to the actor or actress that they claim to be. They're all talk, but no walk. Maybe they're all action, but have no understanding what any of it means. They seek out the safety of works placed upon others so that they might exalt themselves as being more than those below them while safely residing behind a wall of self-righteousness. This is the, the attitude of, I'm not going to deal with my stuff. I just need you to change. I'm good. You're not unless you do this, this, and this. This is the life of comfort, complacency, and pride that looks to feed off others instead of find rescue and grace and grace alone. You see, the narrative of a false gospel always uses others for selfish means. And so I thought about this, and I just want to read you. I I put together, uh, this is, if we were looking to type someone. I want to say this, I'm not attacking anyone, and really I'm just going to lay out what this is probably going to show is that we all struggle with some form of this. But this type, a person that is seeking to mask, cover up, is looking for superficial over the substantial, is wanting to show off so that they're not persecuted. They have comfort and complacency. They wear all the shirts. They have all the verses framed. They drink from only Scripture mugs. They're vocal about every threat to their safe, polished, first world Christianity on social media and to anyone that will give them time. And they cancel those who disagree with them. The church is guilty of that. Instead of loving those who might disagree with them. They see everyone as a threat to their own pedestal and the values that they hold as if those values could be lost at any moment. Your experience, like it's like there's this this insecurity or this threat to your life in such a way that God's not really sitting on His throne. And if something changes in your circumstance, He's like, "Oh, I lose." So you're always threatened by everything because everything is ultimate.
They always have something to say about how things are, should be, or could be done, but not a willingness to jump into the mess. They have their way, and every other way leads to the highway of destruction. They never feel like enough, so they seek to make others not feel like they are enough. They are quick to cut down. They are quick to see everyone with bad motives, to question any good in others, to live in suspicion, hiding, and conspiracy. They feel no joy and yet find happiness in the feeble accomplishments of self. And although they would never say this, the failures of others, and every single day they carry the weight and they place the weight upon others that they must be enough, do enough, and believe enough so that they might be accepted by God who is gracious and loving. They look to hold authority and yet have no real affection for others other than what they can get from them to exalt themselves. Now, I know that's a bit extreme. But whether it is or isn't, that's the life I believe that, man, many times we can tend to live out, at least some parts of it. And that's why we need the gospel laid before us over and over and over again. This is what Paul has been after through this entire letter. And this in large letter is what he's finishing by exposing that even those who are circumcised already in the flesh, he says, look, they don't even keep the law. They are hypocrites who have not love, and yet they seek to have you circumcised in the flesh. So they, he says, so they might boast in your flesh. What Paul's saying here is that in life there are two things that we can boast in. You can boast either in the glory of the flesh, or in, you can boast in the glory of the cross. And which one do you boast in today? What Paul sees, as one writer states, is that the Judaizers were dodging the costly implications of the gospel. They were trying to save their lives through the flesh rather than lose their lives for Jesus' sake and service to others. But the gospel calls us to a totally different way of living because it calls us to a life that pays no mind to the banter and boasting of the flesh and self. Rather, and in verse 14, really what you get is the gospel summarized. He says, look, if I'm going to boast anything in anything, which is to joyously exalt, to have confidence in, he says, it's only going to be in the cross and the cross alone. That's it. That's where my boasting is found, Paul says. Man, today do you find confidence in what you do or in what has been done for you? I think the test of that is, is the gospel the joy of your success and the strong foundation and hope in your failure? Or are you filled with pride at success and crushed by failure? What Paul's saying here is that we should never boast in anything but the cross, for by the cross, he says, look, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now that's a crazy statement when you think about it. Because what Paul is saying is that through the cross of Jesus, which is an offensive means of death, what he says, he says, look, because of that, the world has no claim upon the follower of Christ. Therefore, there is nothing in the world that has power over those who are in Christ. This is why in Romans 8, Paul can say, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And then he goes on in 37, he says, no. And all these things were more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. That's what it means for you to be crucified to the world and the world to you. It has no power. We give it power. Paul doesn't say that the world is dead, but that it is dead to him. Meaning that the gospel has destroyed the power that it once held over him. And because of that, it cannot be a source of righteousness. But rather, it is a place... When, we, when you have that understanding... When you understand, man, the world has crucified me and I to the world, you can actually begin to enjoy life. Because your worship comes not from the things of the world, but from a crucified and risen Savior. See, this is why in verses 15 and 16, we get the reminder that we've seen throughout Galatians, but specifically in chapter 5, verse 6, when he says, look, Through Christ, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. He says the external things of the world don't matter. It's what, man, God does supernaturally inside our hearts, giving us life. Again, in large letters, he's saying, hey, look, in light of all this, don't forget my reason for writing. These things mean nothing. The only thing, he says, that counts for anything is living out the implication that in Christ you are what? He says you are a new creation. We struggle with that. We may believe it here, but it's... If we're honest, it's hard for it to break through here. Because we don't really... We struggle to believe it. You see, we tend to believe that we have to create and recreate ourselves based upon situational identity. You see, situational identity is the belief that based upon my situation or my circumstance, my identity morphs, changes, or adapts to meet the needs of the moment. That's wrong. It's anti-gospel. You see, the gospel says that we were, we are new creation, that we have been brought, you have been brought from death to life. This is not a, it's not as if God says, hey, I cleaned your debt, I gave you a new home, now you remodel that home. But that's how often we think, we, we often think about that. Okay, God, you cleared my debt, but I gotta fix this. No, this is an entirely new build. He didn't just change a few things, he made you new. And guess what? When God looks at you, while He understands you're still in process and being saved, He sees you as what? He sees you as new because He sees you through the blood of Jesus. God's not standing up there saying, well, gosh, Jesus, you paid for, I know you paid their sin, but for their sin and you give them, but man, if they don't really get it together, I think I'm going to just, I think we messed up on this one. It's not what he says. He looks at you. He says, they're new. They're mine. And guess what? When we go to him with, and say, God, can you help with this? He says, yeah, guess what? I love you. And what do we do? Oftentimes we stick our tongue out and run the other way because like, we don't know what to do with that. We struggle with identity. This is who we are. That's why Paul is saying, look. 
Everything I am. I'm, he's like, hey, Paul has laid it all out, right? He says, you're a new creation. Don't walk back into your enslavement. Don't think you got to, don't think you got to remodel. Like he's doing the work. You begin with grace, you continue in grace, and guess what? He's going to finish with grace. I love the saying, it's, you know, when, when you're saved, it's well done. He says, or no, it, when you, when you say, he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before you've ever done any work. And then when you die at the kingdom, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because it began with grace before you ever did anything and it ends with grace because of what Jesus has done, not what you did. He says, this is the promise of all who walk in light of this. He says, it's peace and mercy, which are the two longings of the human heart to be at peace and to receive mercy. Because we realize we're not at peace because of our sin. And we realize, man, in front of God, like he is holy and we are not. We deserve wrath. And so therefore, what we want, we want mercy and grace. And it's only in Christ and his finished work that we receive that. And I love how it ends. Because what Paul says, he says, look, I've said all this. He said, let no one cause me trouble. Because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. See, what Paul does is he he gets one last jab in at the Judaizers. He says, look, the Judaizers bear the mark of circumcision so they might escape suffering. But they don't escape anything. He says, but for me, you should know that this is true because I don't bear, I don't put any, I don't put any faith in those marks. He says, no, I bear the marks of Jesus, which are the marks of suffering. He says, look, I've suffered. I've suffered for this good news. You see, one of these lives leads to ultimate suffering and death, while the other looking a lot like death, which it is. Bonhoeffer says, for those, when a man is called, he is called to what? To come and die. This one brings salvation and freedom. It brings peace and mercy and a display of the gospel by way of our faith, working itself out through love. And today, what does your life look like? And are you seeking just to, to put on the face and to, to, to have a good performance so that people will see something in you? Or maybe God would see something in you? Are you seeking to, man, if my kids would just act a certain way, I'll be good enough for God? Or if, you know, if my, if my marriage is just, if it's, you know, this, and we should fight for those things. We should. But those are not the basis of God seeing us as righteous or not. We are right in Jesus. In Him alone. And so I just want to end with the question that we began with. What must you do today to obtain God's love, approval, and grace? If it's anything other than Christ and Christ alone. Man, I call you to repentance today. I call you to faith in the finished work of Jesus. Because that's the only place you'll find peace and mercy. If that's you today, I'll be up here during our time of communion and response. I want to invite you. You can come talk to me. And man, I'll, I'll pray with you. We can work through man, what that means for your life.
And I implore you today to lay down your performance, to cry out to God and to cling to His grace and grace alone. And man, today, man, if you've been saved by grace, but you can say, man, I've really been running in a lot of performance lately. Before we walked up here, I said, hey, Haley, will you pray for me that I don't feel like I need to perform because we didn't have someone singing three songs today? I told the guys even before that, hey, I don't feel like I'm that way, but the closer it got to me coming up on stage, I was like, I kind of feel that way. But man, praise God that that He doesn't see it that way. That He's sovereign and I'm not. Also, man, praise God for the church that can say, nope, this is where we're at. He's good. And may this, may this letter continue to transform us. May we not move on to what do I got to do? But may we say, man, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And in light of that, transform my life. Even if it means, even though it will mean bearing the marks of Jesus. Because it will. But he's good and he's enough. And he sustains us through it.